would like to invite your attention to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. We're going to be reading the first 20 verses, and then we're going to go to chapter 19 and read verses 16 through 30. Hear the word of the Lord. It was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judah, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts the one who sent me. Chapter 19, verse 16. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus, carrying his own cross. He went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with his two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. 
And when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. And this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Now let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. And this happened, that the scripture might be fulfilled, that said they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. And near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved, standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it and put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It happened April the 3rd, A.D. 33. We know of it as Good Friday. When Jesus uttered his last words before dying on the cross, it is finished. It is Good Friday because Jesus declared it is finished. And to suffice it to say at this point, that which was finished is that which separated us from God. Thank the Lord. Holy Week is a difficult but beautiful reminder, should be for all of us, especially as believers in Christ, that life, peace, and hope can be ours based solely on the blood-bought atonement of Jesus for us on the cross, which we celebrate tomorrow. Though a dark week, As one writer put it, we see one thread of grace after another woven into the tapestry of redemption. As we begin to read about Jesus in the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha on that Saturday, Mary anointing his head and then his feet, getting up the next day and the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the fall of a donkey, and the people are praising him as the one who comes in the name of the Lord, giving a public display that he is the promised Messiah. He goes back to the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, comes back in on Monday, and goes into the temple, the outer court, and cleanses the temple because, as Martin Luther put it, the crass commercialism that was going on. And he had just given a picture of what was going on in the temple to his disciples as Mark connects the cursing of the fig tree. When Jesus saw the fig tree and he saw all of the leaves on the fig tree and he went up to it and there was no fruit and he cursed the fig tree. 
And then he went into the temple and saw just as all of the leaves were on the fig tree with, with no fruit, he goes into the temple and sees all of the religious activity going on with emptiness, no spiritual fruit. And he cleanses the temple. Tuesday, hostility escalates. The religious leaders want him dead. They're conspiring. Wednesday may have been a little quieter. The religious leaders are sort of in hiding and they're conspiring as to what to do with Jesus and how to do it. Thursday comes around and John chapter 13, the passage that we just read a moment ago, records for us part of what took place on Thursday of Holy Week, April the 2nd, A.D. 33. What has become known, as Pastor Talley mentioned a moment ago, as Maundy Thursday for many of us. It is Passover week, so Jesus instructs his disciples to secure a Paschal lamb and to go and get an upper room in the city of Jerusalem so that they can celebrate the Passover supper together. As a matter of fact, verse 1 of chapter 13, which we just read a moment ago, said it was just before the Passover festival. Passover was a celebration instituted at the time of the Lord's rescue of the people of Egypt, of the people from Egypt, his redemption from the hand of Pharaoh, and his instructions were for the people of Israel to keep the celebration of the Passover yearly. And so we see hordes of Jewish people coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And it was only in the city of Jerusalem at the temple that the Passover lambs, which the Jewish families, which became the centerpiece of the Passover meal for Jewish families, it was only there in the temple that the, that the lambs could be slain. And the lambs, of course, which was the centerpiece of the Jewish family meals, were slain the day before Passover, eaten that evening, just as Jesus and the disciples celebrated their own Passover meal as kind of a family of people together that evening. Now, typically, the Jews sat at a table to eat, but not the Passover, not the most festive of meals. They would recline at the Passover meal. They would recline on the floor with pillows. And they did this because the ex, at the exit, during the exodus, the people did not have tables to sit at. They lay on the desert floor and ate. So there was no table. They reclined on the floor with pillows. The meal there on the floor, the Passover lamb, the bitter herbs, the unleavened bread. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking at this time, and you're thinking, well, now, wait a minute. I think Matthew and Mark and Luke each say about the Passover meal that they were reclined at table. That's where cultural insights get into our translations. Because in the Greek text, the only word that is there is that they reclined. No word for table is there. At the Passover meal, they did not sit at a table. They reclined on the floor with pillows. As a matter of fact, as best that I can remember, the table is not mentioned in John chapter 13 as he is eating the meal with his disciples. Then you say, well, what significance is that? 
lying down while eating became an expression of their freedom. Their ancestors had been freed from slavery, the oppression of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. They had freedom. As they began to celebrate that meal in the wilderness after they left, before they ever got to the promised land, it was on the desert floor, and it was an expression of the freedom that God had given to them. So when the disciples ate the Passover with Jesus, they are lying down looking forward to the day when the Lord would finally grant freedom to his people. So it's looking back to the exodus in the past, but looking ahead to the exodus to come. And this same evening as he is eating the Passover meal with his disciples is when he instituted the Lord's Supper. When he took the bread and broke it and passed it around to his disciples and said, This is my body. Take and eat. And he took the cup of wine and passed it around to the disciples and said, This is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for the remission of sins for many. So as the disciples and Jesus ate together that night, Jesus is saying, this is a new covenant. This is a new way that God is going to relate to his people through my death. And so this Thursday of Holy Week, as Jesus is eating the Passover meal with his disciples, the actions that are about to take place as he girds himself with a towel, which, by the way, indicates that Jesus is girding himself like a servant, All of these actions that are going on, as Don Carson put it, is under the looming shadow of the impending cross. We could say, according to the Gospel of John, from chapter 12, verse 1, all the way through to to chapter 19, takes place under the looming shadow of the impending cross. Because here on the eve of the Passover, again, Jesus girds himself with a towel. He takes a basin of water and washes the disciples' feet. Which, by the way, is a duty reserved only for the lowliest ranking servant in the household. And in all probability, not a Jewish servant, but a Gentile servant. For those households who could afford that kind of servant to wash the feet of guests that would come into their homes. Usually the case was is that the owner of the home had a basin of water and a towel there. And everybody that came in washed their own feet. But those who had servants and it was probably the lowest Gentile servant would then take the basin of water and a towel and wash the feet of the people that were there. This is what Jesus was taking upon himself at this point when he washed his disciples' feet. This humble servant act of our Lord pointed to a sacrificial love of eternal significance which was going to happen the very next day on the cross. So here in John chapter 13 verses 1 through 20, we watch Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 8 unfold in real time. Let me read those verses to you. Philippians chapter 2, you probably know them well. But in verse 5, Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What mindset is that? Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own vantage or a thing to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing 
by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And even Jesus had said to his disciples earlier, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So here on this Thursday evening with his disciples, as they were celebrating the Passover meal together, reclined on the floor, it says that Jesus got up, took off his outer garment, because Jewish people wore an outer garment, an inner garment, and girded himself with a towel, girded himself in the form of a servant or like a servant, and took this basin of water and went around and washed the disciples' feet. Shocking to the disciples. They knew what he was doing. And they're thinking, what? Our master is doing this? And Peter, usually the spokesman of the group, says, Lord, you're going to wash my feet? What? And Jesus said, you may not understand what's happening now, but you will. And that was going to be after the crucifixion and resurrection, pointing to the cross. And he said, Hey, you're not going to wash my feet, Peter. Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet. And Lord said, you're going to have any part with me if I don't wash your feet. Okay, then, then, you know, not only my feet, but my head, my hands, my head. And Jesus lowered himself into a position of a lowly slave. He served like a slave. He washed his disciples' feet like a, like a lowliest of the low slave because ultimately he was preparing to die the dehumanizing death of a slave. So most importantly, Maundy Thursday reminds us that the Son of Man willingly came to earth as a lowly slave to serve us, to be crushed for us, to free us from our own slavery to sin that leads to eternal death. In other words, John was right. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And as Paul put it, Christ, our Passover Lamb. God did this for us. Let me close by saying, we don't want to miss this. God did this for us in Christ out of his love for us. We will know, we will know no greater love ever than what God has supremely displayed in the giving of his son to be our substitute to sacrifice himself for us as John 16 says for God so loved or literally in the original text for this is the way that God loved the world the world of sinful, rebellious mankind. For this is the way that God loved the world that he gave his only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Paul put it like this in Romans chapter 5. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us.
John puts it again in his first epistle. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And it is only the outworking of his love, only the outworking of God's love that man can be brought into right relationships with his maker. And this process of reconciliation originates with God, not us. We can do nothing to atone for our sins before a holy and a righteous God. This is all of God. And when Jesus hung on that cross that Friday, April the 3rd, A.D. 33, and cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was going on is God, out of his love for us, is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Ili, Ili, Lamasabakthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father's wrath is being poured out on Jesus full force. And at this point, he is no longer in that moment the blessed, but the cursed. Because he took our curse. He became a curse, the curse for us. No greater love. No, this is what Jesus is demonstrating. This is what Jesus is pointing to here in John chapter 13 on that night when he took that towel, that loving sacrifice, that self-sacrificing love and humility which was displayed on the cross the next day. No greater love, no greater humility or obedience has ever or will ever be displayed. In love, Jesus has drained the cup of his Father's wrath to the dregs. He has borne our curse. So yes, it is Good Friday because Jesus declared it is finished. And what was finished is the sin that separated us, God, from us. And now, when we believe in Jesus, he forgives us of our sins and legally declares us to be righteous in Christ. The only way that we have that standing with God. And you know what happens? God looks on us with loving favor. Always. That never ends. Every time he looks at us, it is in Christ. And he looks at us with that loving favor. And what I want to challenge you with and exhort you with before closing is to revel in that love. Every day of your life, I mean, just, just dive into the river of God's love and swim deep. Just let it drench you. Just rest in it. And know that God our Father, because of what Jesus has done for us, looks upon us with as Paul said in Romans 5, 2, Through Jesus we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. The grace in which we now stand, and that is, that is enjoying the continuing effects of this grace because God has justified us in Jesus. Just a few hours later, from Thursday evening as he is enjoying this Passover meal with his disciples, and then he's arrested 
and he's taken one place to the house of the high priest and the disciples are following back, not real close. And Peter, and he's, he's with the group that is out there around a fire, warming himself. And Peter denies Jesus. He denies Jesus. He denies Jesus. And then the rooster crowed. Jesus had told him that. And the text tells us that in the house of Caiaphas, Jesus turned and looked at Peter. Most of us would think that was a malicious look. That was a look that said, I told you it would happen. Aha, I was right wasn't a look of consternation. Many of us might think that. But you know, the text doesn't really tell us, but you know what I believe it was? I believe it was a look of immense sorrow and love. Because Peter was a believer. He was a disciple. And God's favor was always, always on him. As it will be. For all of us. Don't beat yourself to death. Don't let the devil beat yourself to death with self-condemnation, with self-guilt. If you are a believer in Christ, Jesus said, it is finished. You've believed in him. Your sins are forgiven. They are gone. And God looks upon you with loving favor. Let me close with this quote. I like this. It has meant a lot to me. John Owen said these words. So much... As we see of the love of God, so much shall we delight in Him and no more. Every other discovery of God without this will but make the soul fly from Him. But if the heart be once much taken up with this, the imminency of the Father's love, it cannot choose but be overpowered, conquered, and endeared unto Him. Put then this to the venture. Exercise your thoughts upon this very thing, the eternal, free, and fruitful love of the Father, and see if your hearts be not wrought upon to delight in Him. I dare boldly say, believers will find it as thriving a course as ever they pitched on in their lives. Sit down a little at the fountain, and you will quickly have a further discovery of the sweetness of the streams. That's why Paul prayed, for the Ephesian believers in chapter 3, I'm praying that the Spirit will strengthen you in your inner being. That Christ may be at home in your hearts. And you being grounded and being established and being rooted in the love of God. I'm praying that this spirit will strengthen you in your inner man. That you already being rooted and grounded in his love. I'm praying then that you will be able to grasp what is the width, the length, the height, the depth of the love of Christ. Amen.